Hey guys, Cajun Cardboard coming at you here from the great state of Louisiana. I, um, I'm really excited about what I'm uh, here to talk about today. It's one of my real passions in collecting, and uh, and that is NBA prospecting. Um, I uh, got a couple of ground rules I want to go over. Um, obviously, as you can see from the uh, thumbnail over here, um, you know the topic is uh, what I'm calling Cajun Cardboard's pillars of NBA prospecting. Um, just a whole bunch of who, what, when, why, how, you know, everything that, that goes through my head when I make a decision about who to buy, what to buy, how long to buy it, where to buy it, where to sell it, how long to hold it, why I bought it. Really, uh, a lot of this focus is going to be on the why, um, but I want to just kind of take you guys through my thought process. I'm not, uh, you are not going to hear me tell any of you who to buy or what cards to buy that's that's not going to happen today i'm going to tell you what i've done in the past what i have uh learned uh, how i've learned from my mistakes how i've learned from my successes and uh hopefully i can share some of that with you um and so you can kind of understand my journey in nba prospecting and why i think it's so fun um, and even though it's, it's real easy to go put all your money in LeBron and Giannis and, uh, and Jordan um, and 1986 Fleer cards and things like that that are super low risk or vintage, you know, Wilts and, and Russells and Kareems that's, uh, and Magic and Bird, that's really uh, low risk and really fun and really safe long term. Uh, but it's not exhilarating. And it's, the, you know, Chris McGill on... Uh, and Josh, well, not so much Josh, but Chris McGill on um, the crossover talks about it all the time. There's just, it's very difficult to uh, replace that feeling of having an investment and a vested interest in an active basketball player. Uh, and so when you watch their games, it just means more. It's, it's, it's kind of uh, in the hobby, it's our version of gambling on, on uh, pro sports. Um, but, um, but anyway, I don't want to take too much time. I, I was going to do all this in one video and I think it was going to be, you know, you know how I am guys. I talk for like 30 minutes on every video. So this was going to be a real mother of a video. So I decided to break it down into three parts. Um, and so what we're going to look at is, uh, today part one, this video is going to be about simply factors to consider. Uh, I've broken it down into, you know, my pillars, as we're calling them, or factors, into factors to consider. Uh, then there are important factors. Uh, these are very, very relevant factors, uh, very important factors. And then lastly, there's mandatory factors. Uh, these are, are, are issues and factors that are not avoidable, and they must be addressed, uh, and those boxes must be checked in order to um, to enhance your likelihood of success when you're uh, prospecting on NBA players. So uh, first, let me set some ground rules here. Uh, here's, some, here's some criteria. Uh, I want to be really clear, and, I, and I've said this from the beginning. Uh, I'm going to be very transparent. You're going to hear me talking about some of the same prospects over and over. I'm not subliminally trying to tell you to go buy the players that I like or that I own cards of. I don't give a shit about that. Uh, I am uh, going to use names of players I am familiar with and that I have uh, a large collection of because I'm walking you through my uh, steps that I took and why I chose certain players. And so you're going to see me make a lot of comparisons and those comparisons are going to involve cards that I do own. Uh, so I, I want to be really clear about that. Um, uh, here's a couple of ground rules. There is no one right way to do this. I'm not sitting here telling you I know more than you or I know more than everybody or I know everything. I'm certainly not telling you that because like I like to always say, I'm the same guy that invested in Chris Dunn. I'm the same guy that invested uh, in Dennis Smith Jr. Um, you win some, you lose some. Prospecting is not a zero-sum game. This is not a perfect science. No one is going to bat 1,000. Um, if you're batting 500, you're doing fantastic. Um, uh, I've had a really good track record, and I have had really good success. Um, I, I ha and I, I'm not ashamed to talk about making lots of money doing this because I love doing this, and this is where I like to put my money, and I like to invest my money. So this video is going to be from an investment perspective, not a collector's perspective. Um, I, I'm going to give you my experience and my perspective on how to NBA prospect based on about six years of doing so. 
Um, and a lot has changed in six years, as you guys know. Um, so the other uh, uh, critical factor to remember is that there are home runs and then there's doubles. Uh, you don't have to hit a home run every time. You don't have to go rags to riches. You, Giannis is the ultimate greatest example of a rags to riches prospecting success story. There may never be anything else like it. It may never happen. Uh, to, to be one of the 15 greatest NBA players of all time based on resume or at least approaching that uh, when the guy was in dollar boxes five years ago. That's just, it's not likely to replicate. That's probably not going to happen again. And so remember, you don't necessarily have to hit a home run. There are doubles to be hit out here, okay? Uh, you can make money on um, uh, good but not great players. So not every prospect needs to be a home run. You're not looking for the next Jordan, LeBron, Giannis, Doncic every single time you prospect, okay? Um, the more boxes you can check off on this list that I'm going to give you guys of things that I consider, and this is not everything, this is just stuff that popped into my head that I put down on a list, but the more boxes you can check off and the more criteria and factors you, you critically consider, uh, the more likely you are to hit a home run and the less risk you will take on and the more pitfalls you can avoid, but it's not dummy proof here. There's not one way to do this. These are all just a myriad of factors that you need to process and you need to think about when you're trying to decide what player to buy and what card of that player to buy and how many and what price and things that all the things that go into it. Uh, this is, uh, again, this is an investing video. So if you're a collector and you think I'm going to talk about 90s cards or Jordans, I'm not. I know that's a lot of what I talk about, but this is about purely investing. Uh, even, uh, you know, the, the new guys that jumped in in 2020 that are all about flipping, uh, you're going to like this video. Uh, some of you more collector types probably aren't. Um, primarily, this video focuses on purchasing a prospect's rookie cards. There are other pathways to obviously invest in the hobby. There is even other pathways to invest that I would still consider prospecting, such as sometimes second year parallels is a great way to make money. I did that on Doncic when everybody was hyper-focused on his rookies. I jumped all over his second year prism colored parallels uh, and silvers and absolutely crushed it because all of the focus at the time was on first years. Um, so that's that's an option. Uh, buying inserts uh, of rookies, not necessarily their true rookie cards, but inserts of prospects is the way. Buying patch autographs, uh, second, third, fourth, whatever year, patch autographs of prospects. Uh, if they're undervalued, that's another way to make money. That would also be considered prospecting. But the focus of this video is going to be primarily on their rookie cards uh, of some level or stature. Um, we are not looking at, when I say factors to consider, we're not talking about basketball ability or basketball skills, okay? I want to be real clear about that. Let me be real clear. I am not sitting here telling you to look at certain field goal percentages or how someone shoots a basketball or what the release looks like or whether they're on balance coming off screens. We're not talking about basketball ability and basketball uh, technique or skill level or anything like that. Okay, uh, We are primarily going to end up talking about um, broader factors. Uh, and that, that stuff you've got to do on your own, uh, like identifying uh, and a player's talent level and skill level, we're assuming we're past that. We're assuming you've decided who you think the next one is or you, who you think the next great prospect is going to be and you've made that decision. Here's some more factors to consider. Getting to this point and having a player's name in mind, that's, that's eye test. That is you putting in the time, the effort, watching film, watching videos, watching games on League Pass. I mean, grinding and putting eyeballs on a player. If that's not something that you're good at, Honestly, prospecting is probably not for you. If you don't enjoy watching uh, Orlando versus OKC so you can watch Josh Giddy and like watch little subtleties, how he handles double teams, uh, how quickly he reacts to double teams, you know, whether he can dribble with his left, whether he can go to his left, does he have counters? If you don't like stuff like that, it, it, it's this is probably prospecting is probably not the best route for you. You're probably better off doing something a little bit less risky. Um, Prospecting is really for people who've spent enough time watching NBA basketball, and, and really it does help that, to have played the game of basketball 
um, to the point where you think you have a competitive advantage over others. Otherwise, you're just throwing darts here, man. Um, and that's really not the way to go. It'd be like me picking stocks. I don't know shit about shit when it comes to the stock market. I rely on other people that are a lot more intelligent, who have a lot uh, more expertise in that area to tell me what to put my money in in the stock market. So um, this is a situation where I feel like I have a competitive advantage against uh, the hobby in general. Um, I'm not saying that to be boastful, but I think it's pretty safe to say I feel like I watch more NBA basketball and I'm old as hell. So for, for 25, 35 years now, I've watched a pretty large amount of NBA basketball. And so it's on you to identify the, um, the player's skill set and talent level. Um, we're talking about after you've kind of chosen your guy. Here's some other things to check off the boxes. Um, if you're invested in NBA prospect already, okay, if, you, if you've got somebody from the 2018, 2019, 2020, or you like somebody in this class, even though Panini won't get off their ass and make the damn cards, um, then uh, think about your guy as we go through this list and think about where he fits and think about uh, if you can check off these boxes or if there's a red flag. Um, this list, to be very clear, again, this is illustrative, not exhaustive meaning these are factors to consider. These are not all the factors to consider, okay? Um, comment in, please comment, help me add to this. I'd like to kind of revisit this issue later down the road, maybe in another bigger, broader, badder, uh, you know, more improved video. Comment what are some other considerations uh, for prospecting that, that need to go on my list that I left out. Again, there's, I've got a couple that I did leave out and I've left them out on purpose. It's already going to be a long ass video. I've taken 10 minutes just sitting here, you know, talking about the criteria on how the list came up. It's for 10 minutes in. I haven't even started talking about the first factor. So this is a living, breathing list. I'd love to add to it. Uh, I'd love to get some better graphics on the screen. Um, you know, right now, um, I've just got the thumbnail up here. I've got card ladder pulled up because we're going to use it a little bit. I got basketball reference for the statistics. I've got, um, you know, my PWCC. Uh, account here because I'm going to get into a little bit of talk about Anthony Simons, who's just kind of my uh, my staple, my my biggest uh, prospecting, probably my biggest prospecting investments, um, quantity and quality and dollars spent. And then I've got the NBA standings pulled up just in case we need to look at some stuff like that. Um, but uh, but anyway, okay, so let's get started. So like I said, this video uh, is going to be part one of three videos. This is the least important factors, but these are factors to consider. Okay, factor number one is team market size. This used to be a big ass deal, okay, back in the day. Pre-internet, this was a big deal. Uh, Pre-Twitter, uh, pre pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook, pre freaking media putting everything in your face pre being able to watch games on your phone when only big market teams showed up uh nba games on tv um those days are over guys okay uh it is a factor to consider but it is not an important factor and is not a mandatory factor when choosing a prospect um this used to matter a whole lot more in the past uh proof that it doesn't matter nearly as much anymore Giannis, zion ja Small market dudes, okay? Damian Lillard, for God's sakes. Small market guys. You can be outrageously successful and make shitloads of money prospecting on players if you make good choices on small markets. Don't think because a player is in a small market, he can't be a good prospect, okay? Think about your prospect. If he's in a huge market, that's fantastic. If your player gets traded to a huge market, yeah, it's probably gonna bump their value a little bit, but it's not gonna be uh, a long-term uh, a long-term change in their value unless team success follows it unless individual success follows it and accolades follow it they've got to back it up they've got to actually do the job um, it can help to be in a big market but it is not dispositive of investing uh, for investing success in that player um, some of the huge markets out there you guys know them New York LA Chicago Boston etc uh, does it help that a player goes there yeah when Lonzo got traded from New Orleans to Chicago he saw a little bump in his price Reddish is, is a great example it just happens Reddish got traded to New York people freaked the hell out I, I don't think that's as much about Reddish being 
in New York City as it is about Reddish being in a new situation where he's going to get potentially significantly more time and more attention and more usage. Uh, I think that has a little bit more to do with it than being in New York City, but I'm sure some of it does have to do with him being with his old college teammate, R.J. Barrett and Randall in New York City. Um, you know, it, it is a, the biggest of the big markets. Um, it, you know, so things to keep in mind is like uh, guys like De'Aaron Fox, uh, Lillard, um, SGA, uh, if those guys do get packaged in a trade, and then there's a lot of talk about a lot of these guys, if those guys get packaged in a trade and end up going to a big-ass market like a Philly or a Miami or a Boston, Chicago, L.A., New York, whatever, uh, Brooklyn, you know, if that, if that kind of stuff happens, yeah, they're going to have a nice little bump. Um, but, but I think the more important thing is if those guys bounce to a team with a chance to win. Um, so market size is something to consider, but it's not everything. Next in line is front office or coaching stability. This is huge. This is huge, especially during the, uh, I don't want to call it, uh, the infancy stages of a player's NBA career. Okay, So in the first two, two three years of a player's career, it's absolutely crucial. Um, not, not, I shouldn't say crucial. It's a factor to consider uh, what their front office uh, you know, and coaching, uh, coaching stability looks like. If there's constant uh, changing of the guard in the front office and constantly a new direction and there's always a new coach, that player never gets comfortable. That player never gets established. That player will not develop as quickly. These are generalizations now. There's always going to be an exception. That's another thing I want to be clear. Uh, there is no black and white here. So everything's gray. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule. Okay. Um, so front office and coaching stability is crucial. Um, you know, the more, more stable they are, the better the coach, the more likely that prospect will develop into the player that he's got the potential uh, to become that you saw when you picked him as your prospect. Um, that, so those coaches and those front offices, um, you know, the more stable they are, the more invested and the more willing to learn that prospect's going to be and the more respect they're going to have, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's like when Pat Riley speaks, people listen. When Pop speaks, people listen. When Phil Jackson spoke, people listened. Uh, and he went a little wacko at the end, especially that last Knicks tenure. Uh, I don't think anybody listened then, but but you get the drift. Um, some great front office examples uh, of front offices that are in shambles. The Kings, the Magic, the Knicks. Um, always the Knicks. I count the Knicks always. I don't care what they did last year. The Knicks are always in shambles. Uh, the owners of, I don't know. He seems like a nut job to me. He's always in the way. Uh, and then the Pistons, you know, the Pistons are just constantly hitting the refresh button. So the more often these, these franchises are hitting the reset button with coaches and front offices changing and per, you know, personnel and all that stuff, the harder it is for your prospect to get that traction, to actually start producing and winning games. Uh, uh, this is, this is an example I'm going to keep going back to. De'Aaron Fox versus Darius Garland. They're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing, but they're doing them in Sacramento. And then Garland is doing it in, and look, I'm going to pull it up just to show you. Uh, and Garland is doing it in, in Cleveland. So Cleveland has somehow uh, become a winning franchise, become a stable franchise. It's become great chemistry. Kevin Love has found his niche as a veteran leader when he was miserable and disgruntled for the last few years. You've got a great young nucleus. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this about Cleveland. None of us, me included, none of y'all would have thought Cleveland would be what they are right now with an injured Sexton, an injured Rubio. Like a year ago, if I said Cleveland's going to be one and a half out of first, they're freaking one and a half out of first. Look, I'm scrolling to it right now. I think that's right. That might be wrong. Cleveland's two and a half games out of first. Sorry, two and a half games out of first. They're 27 and 19. They've won seven out of their last 10, and they're 15 and 10 on the road. That's just bonkers. Um, nobody in their right mind a year ago would have guessed that. But going back to our, our deal here, the, like I want to compare Fox to Garland. So here's Fox's uh, silver card. Fox's silver card has been selling anywhere from 200 to 330. I'm pulling up card ladder here. Uh, this is for his PSA 10, obviously. Um, he's got almost, well, a little bit less efficient, but almost the same numbers as Darius Garland. If we go look at Darius Garland's silver, okay. <clears throat> 
Look where his card's at, and look where it's going. Because the team's winning, the franchise is stabilized, the coaching staff is stable. They love um, Bickerstaff. They really like that dude. Um, and, and so his his minimum is sale. Look at look at his sale since going back to December. Since December, the card. Well, let's say since December 10th, the card has never sold for below $300. And look at the pop. There's 1,038 Garlands. Let's go pull up my Fox. There's 505 Foxes. So there's twice as many Garlands, but his card's selling for more. And they're legitimately pretty similar players. Okay, so just keep in mind if Fox gets traded to a Cleveland-like situation uh, with a chance of winning, for God's sakes, and I know Maxie's in Philly, but if Fox goes to like a Philly, uh, and I know Lowry's in Miami, but if Fox was in Miami or, or a place that's not even necessarily a, a favorite, but at least a contender, imagine the difference in his card prices. So that's something to keep in mind when you're prospecting. It's really important. Uh, Fox has not become the player he's going to become uh, even though he's really good, he has not even scratched the surface just because of his shitty situation. And a lot of that has to do with front office and coaching. Um, <clears throat> so player personnel goes hand in hand with it. Uh, revolving door franchises that are constantly hitting the reset button. OKC, the Kings, the Magic, Houston, uh, teams like that, they, they're never going to click. They're never going to win. It takes time. Cleveland fell into this category. Right, Cleveland was in this category. They, they they just kept changing and changing. And honestly, LeBron saved them from that the second time around. It was just like one deal after another where they just kept hitting the reset button. And if that keeps happening, then, then prospects are never really going to ultimately realize their potential. Um, it's just very difficult if your if your teammates, uh, just like your front office and coaching staff, if your teammates are constantly changing, it's very difficult to develop that chemistry. Learn from the vets and win. Uh, you're just not going to have a lot of happy vets around. And y'all don't underestimate how important it is to have uh, positive attitude veterans around your prospects. You got to remember that the NBA is, is uh, you know, NBA teams are employers where you've got sometimes 19-year-old employees. And I'm, these players are employees. They, they're employed by these NBA teams in the NBA. Uh, like you've got like... Doncic, clearly the man in Dallas, and then you've got, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some offhand, but veteran players around him who are sometimes 10, 12 years older, who have been there and done that, who are uh, being asked to, hey, help this guy take your job. Help this guy become a hundred millionaire, even though you never did. Or help this guy, you know, take our team to the next level, even though that means you're less valuable. And so uh, player personnel and stability and happy veterans around these prospects is another factor to consider. Your investment duration, uh, factor number four to consider. How long are you willing or are you uh, considering holding this prospect? You've got to know this from day one, okay? Um, it's different depending on whether you're trying to hit a double or whether you're trying to hit a home run, okay? And what I mean by that is, and I hate to use a baseball reference because I don't watch it, but uh, you get my drift. Um, swinging for the fences, right? And so sometimes, um, you know, you can invest in a player who you think is undervalued, who you think is going to be a good NBA player, okay? Um, guys that I'm thinking of, um, uh, Lonzo Ball, Jarrett Allen, uh, Lori Markinen, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, um, Desmond Bain. These are these are players that that are we think are going to be good players. Nobody. I mean, I hope I don't offend anybody who's holding their cards, but nobody in their right mind should think any of those players are going to be top ten players in the world. Um, so I would call those players swinging for a double. You can make a lot of money in the hobby, investing in prospects at a very low price point who you think are gonna be doubles or triples, right? They don't all have to be franchise cornerstone, Doncic, Trey Young, John Morant, Zion, uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, LaMelo Balls. They don't all have to be that. You don't have to, you don't have to hit grand slam home runs to make really good money prospecting if you know what you're doing. Um, I'm gonna always go back to my people. Uh, Darius Garland's an example. Anthony Simons is an example. Uh, those guys are going to make me, you know, good money uh, and already have um, just by where they are now. Well, can they get better? Sure, I think they can get better. That's why I'm still holding some, but I'm also liquidating some. Um, I, I don't think that there's any chance on God's earth that Anthony Simons is the next LeBron James. 
Um, I don't think he's the next Kevin Durant. Uh, um, you know, my, my buddy here in town likes to say he's Steph Curry with a 45 inch vertical. I hope you're right. Um, but I don't need that to be the case because I bought him for pennies. And so there, there are opportunities out there to make money hitting doubles is, is basically my point. Um, if you're investing in a prospect that you don't think has the talent to be a franchise cornerstone, I am talking a one name guy. Uh, Luca, LeBron, KD, uh, Iverson, Kobe, one name guys. If you are investing in a guy who you don't think is a one name guy, then your window should probably be shorter. Uh, your window of hold should probably be shorter. You should look to take profits a little bit sooner. That's just my opinion. If you're investing in a guy who's got uber off the charts, crazy franchise talent that you think could be the face of the city, um, I, these are guys like, I, again, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Trey Young, Doncic, Ja, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo, Zion, even a Brandon Ingram. I even put a guy like a Kevin Porter Jr. in there, a Jalen Green, a, uh, a Cade Cunningham. We don't know on those guys yet. I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying those guys are franchise players. Even Ingram or guys like that, I'm not even saying they're there yet. I'm saying they have the talent to be those types of players. Like it or not, they do. They do have that talent. Now, whether they will or not, I don't know. But those are the types of players you got to give a little bit longer leash to. Does that make sense? Um, you, know, uh, you know, those guys can go places Desmond Bain can't. You can't give the ball to Desmond Bain and say, win me game six in a franchise in a playoff series. I think you could do that with Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. I mean, shit, some of those guys have already done it. Doncic, Ja, all those guys. You know, Jamal, even Jamal Murray. Um, there's guys out there that have already done it. A booker, okay? Uh, those guys, you can have a little bit longer window. So your investment duration in your window, you need to have an idea of what exactly you're looking for. When is it likely going to be time to liquidate? Like I said, the, the, the doubles, I think you need to have a shorter window. I think you need to grab those profits when it gets to the point that you're comfortable. Uh, the, the other guys that have that franchise type staying power and that super uber talent that's very rare and unique, you can have a little bit longer window. It's okay. Um, respect of peers. This is a factor to consider that a lot of people don't notice. I noticed this just because I watch the way players interact after games end on TV. And you don't always get this on national TV, but if you got a league pass, you will. Uh, they'll show the players shake hands after the game. And even now, I know for COVID, they couldn't. They'd wave at each other and all that crap. But players are shaking hands and hugging and talking and covering their mouth and doing all that crap now. Watch how your prospect interacts with uh, big time players after the game. Uh, does LeBron come over and find your guy and talk to him? Uh, does Doncic, uh, does, does Giannis, does John Morant, does Zion, uh, watch post-game handshakes, post-game conversations and watch, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I've seen it before. Um, it's not just positive and sometimes it's misleading. Um, but, but just watch how, you know, the opponent's best player and those iconic players interact with your prospect, if at all. Um, watch NBA player tweets. You know, one thing I like, I told you I like Anthony Simons. He's one of my biggest prospect investments. Well, um, Anthony Simons here, I'm going to pull up. Where the hell is it? There it is. So I'm going to pull up. This is my, my Anthony Simons collection. One thing that got me started on Anthony Simons, um, A, he went to IMG Academy, and he was super talented in high school. He was totally off the radar, and he was trapped. He was trapped in Portland. Um, and so part of the reason that I liked him is nobody else knew who the hell he was. Nobody cared. Nobody saw him. Nobody knew anything about him. Nobody knew anything from him from high school. He played at IMG, but he didn't really do anything else. He went straight to straight to the pros from IMG because it was a postgraduate year. He never played in college. Um, you know, those things were important to me. Um, but but one thing I noticed is I, I, I listened to how Damian Lillard talked about him. And Damian Lillard once said, he's like, I'm going to hand this franchise over to Anthony Simons. I am going to hand it over. It's going to be a transition from me to Anthony Simons. When I heard Damian Lillard say that about a 19 or 20 year old kid that nobody else in the world knew about, 
I started to pay attention. I started to take notice. And I was like, okay, that's something to me. That, that means something. He didn't say that about anybody else. He didn't say it about Gary Trent Jr. Uh, he didn't say it about Nasir Little. He didn't say it about uh, Pat Connaughton when he was a Blazer. He said it about Anthony Simons. That matters to me. How uh, uh, an opponent or a teammate, a peer, how a peer talks and tweets and discusses at that player. Listen to press conferences. Listen to clips from, from post-game press conferences. Listen to how teammates talk about uh, their teammates. Um, you know, another thing I, I listen to, and this just, you know, I listen to uh, the podcast, the JJ Reddick's podcast, Old Man and the Three. If you're not listening to that, you should. It's fantastic uh, content. Uh, but it's JJ Reddick and one of his buddies, and they get NBA players on here, and they talk to them. And, and so they just had Kevin Love on there, and he was talking about Garland and Mobley. The way he talked about Garland and the way he talked about Evan Mobley is completely different than the way he talked about Colin Sexton. No offense to Colin Sexton collectors. I, I get it. I'm not going to kick you while you're down because I know he's injured and I know the dude was putting up great numbers. The Cavs seem better without Sexton. I'm just calling it like it is. It's given Garland a lot more freedom. Uh, Garland doesn't have to share it with an inefficient player. Garland's about as efficient as it gets. The way that Kevin Love talked about Garland led me to believe that Kevin Love thinks Garland is not your everyday guard. Uh, same thing Same thing with Evan Mobley. And I'm not an Evan Mobley guy. I, I'm not sure where Evan Mobley is. I know he's super talented. I get that. I, everybody says young Anthony Davis or young KG. I get all that. Um, he's good. I, I get it. I'm not going to get into all that. But uh, it matters to me what Kevin Love's opinion is of those players. And I'm not saying Kevin Love's going to shit on his players. He's not going to say anybody sucks who's on his team just because they're teammates. Um, but the way he talked about Garland and Mobley was significantly different than the way he talked about Sexton and even Markinen, uh, who's having a nice bounce back year. Uh, moving on. So respect of teammates, respect of opponents, uh, how they interact and how they speak about your prospect is important. Just try to find little tidbits. Go search on the internet. Go search on YouTube. Go see if you can find something. Uh, even articles. Read them. Um, political or con uh, controversial. Uh, this is a factor to consider. Uh, the less political and the less controversial your prospect is outside of the four uh, boundaries of the basketball court, the better. Um, when I talk about this, you know, the, the less likely they are to say something that they probably shouldn't, the better. Um, I, I bring up Kyrie Irving having nothing to do with the vaccine thing. I'm not getting into that shit uh, one way or the other. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about saying the earth is flat. I am, uh, you know, talking about some of the other crazy shit he does, spraying incense and, and the weird, you know, I say political slash controversial, controversial stuff that Kyrie says. He says some weird stuff, man. He, he's always getting himself in trouble. He's got a big mouth. Ben Simmons with his bullshit off the court with the dating, whoever he's dating and the not caring about it and being all pissy and dramatic. That's a problem. That's one of the biggest risks with Ben Simmons. It's single-handedly destroyed his cards. He's not even on the floor. LeBron is a big issue, man. LeBron has a big mouth. Um, I know there's a lot of LeBron collectors out there. I have a huge LeBron collection. I, I invest in LeBron. I collect LeBron. I think LeBron is one of the three greatest players that has ever lived. Uh, but the biggest risk, the only risk that I perceive with LeBron is that he says something off the court uh, that's usually uninformed. He's not educated on the topic. He speaks without getting all of the facts. It happens over and over. And it keeps happening over and over and over. He wants to weigh in on everything. He's like the opposite of Jordan. Um, I, I have no problem with um, athletes speaking out, athletes speaking their mind. What I do have a problem with is athletes jumping to conclusion like our shitty media does now. And I'm left, right, doesn't matter. They're all liars and there's always a, an agenda for all media outlets and so uh I, I worry about i worry about that kind of stuff and what you know maybe a potential player will say off the court and so being political or controversial i think that's just a factor to consider it's a risk that i tolerate with my lebron um investment but it is, it is a risk and i and i perceive it and i am aware of it um that, that i think that's the biggest threat to his long-term value to be quite honest with you because on the court it's Bro, it's, it's a slam dunk. He's he's done anything and everything you possibly could, and he's going to continue to do it. And he's defying age and time and everything that goes with it. Enough of that. On the court trouble. Um, 
pay attention to your prospects. And this is where League Pass comes in. You may be, maybe you've invested in a dude that plays for Sacramento or OKC or Orlando. You're never going to see them play basketball if you don't either go watch YouTube for clips. But I like to watch the whole game because things happen other than highlights. In case y'all didn't know this, there's more to basketball than just than just highlights. Okay, um, <clears throat> so. Watch how your player reacts when he commits a turnover or commits a stupid foul or makes a terrible clock decision, horrible clock management. Watch how your player reacts. Watch how your prospect reacts when a teammate does one of those things, turns the ball over, looks him off, misses a kick out, takes a stupid contested shot when he should have kicked it out to your prospect. Watch your prospect's body language. Watch how your prospect talks to his teammates or vice versa on the way back to the huddle after the coach calls a timeout because the team's doing something bad. Uh, is your prospect coachable? Is he responsive? Uh, is he Does he make eye contact with the coach? Uh, what's his body language? I mean, you could tell a lot about a person just by how they carry themselves, man, and how much respect they have for themselves. Does he get too down on himself? Does he mope and all that crap that goes with it? Um, the, the, the player that comes to mind is ironically one of my biggest prospects, Kevin Porter Jr. Um, hopefully he's turning the corner, but he still has little tantrums. He has little pissy attitude deals. Sometimes he has little shitty body language, you know, movements that I notice. I can't stand seeing it. I, the kid, I think the kid is special. And, and sometimes when he's happy and he's engaged and he's locked in, he's nasty. He's filthy. He can be a fantastic basketball player in the NBA. Um, but sometimes, it, you know, when the team's not winning and when things aren't coming easy to him, you see terrible body language and, and, and the way he interacts with his teammates is not great. And obviously it got him run in Cleveland. I mean, he was an incredibly talented player in Cleveland said, get the hell out. We don't care. Take off, have fun. And, uh, and thank God for John Lucas. It sounds like he's being pulled back and, and he's back on the path, but then he has, you know, he detours sometimes, but KPJ is a great example, but, but look at your prospect, watch him, watch the way they act on the court when they make a mistake or a teammate makes a mistake, or they get in fouls by bitching at referees and things like that. It, it affects their calls. It affects the foul calls that they get. It, it affects their success on the court and it affects, you know, how much teammates are willing to share the ball with them. There's a lot of subtleties that go with it. Uh, high school and college and international resume, basically pre-NBA resume. Another factor to consider. This isn't conclusive. Uh, I'm not saying you had to be a high school All-American to be uh, you know, a great NBA prospect or to make money prospecting on a certain player. That's not what I'm saying. There's, and again, this is one where I really want to emphasize there are always exceptions to the rule. Um, but what I will say is college success, even if it's just in the one year, helps. Um, it, it, it's, it's a factor to consider. That's why it's in the factor to consider. It's not even in my important factors or my mandatory factors. It's a factor to consider. But primarily what I want to focus on here is um, not so much college, because that's a tough adjustment, but high school dominance and more importantly, international uh, resume. If you're lucky enough to prospect into a player who played internationally, such as a Doncic, uh, LaMelo for a brief stint, uh, in Australia, uh, Josh Giddy. Um, if if you see those guys succeeding as 18, 19 year olds against grown men and putting up like stat lines across the board against grown men, that's pretty indicative of really good NBA success. Um, again, just because somebody tears it up in Iceland doesn't mean. I'm telling you, go prospect and invest in them because it's going to translate to the NBA. But like legit leagues, like the Australian leagues, a pretty decent, you know, overseas league. Uh, Doncic playing uh, in, in that in that league, that was about probably the second best league in the world. That shit matters, man. If you can do it against grown men over there, it's going to translate pretty well for the NBA. It's a factor to consider. Okay, um, high school. Uh, and college resume monsters like LeBron, R.J. Barrett, Zion, Ben Simmons, it helps. It does. The more um, indicia or, or the more historical success that they've had leading up to their NBA career, the better. It's just something to keep an eye on. Now, you're going to have um, plenty of examples of college dudes who tore college to pieces and tore it up their senior year. Buddy Heald. Uh, you know, guys that stay four years, man, they're 22, 23 years old playing against 18 year olds. 
that's not great. That's that's not a great indicator of future NBA's, NBA success. Uh, again, Buddy Heald's fine. Buddy Heald's a guy you could have you could have made good money on if you bought him at the right price point and you sold him at the right time. I'm not saying that, but that's that's different than Kevin Durant in his one year clearly being one of the best players in college basketball as an 18 or 19 year old. Right? That's just different. Um, but uh, it does help. And, and then remember, there are always exceptions to the rule. Some of the guys that come to mind, uh, John Morant was a nobody in high school. Um, you know, he was a nobody really early on at Murray State, and then he became an absolute freak. Uh, Damian Lillard was a nobody in high school. Pippen was certainly a nobody in high school and in college until um, Krauss discovered him. Uh, Rodman was really a nobody. John Stockton in high school wasn't, you know, LeBron. He wasn't the next great one, um, and certainly not early on in his college career either. So there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. It's just a factor to consider. Team tempo and style of play. Uh, this is a big one, okay? So this is in factors to consider, but it's real close to uh, important factors, um, <laughs> whatever that distinction is. So team tempo and style of play matters. It's real simple. <laughs> the more pace you play with, the more stats you accumulate, the more stats you accumulate, the more potential you have for big stat lines, especially in aggregate stats like points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, threes. Um, the more pace you play with, the more stats, the more stat lines, the more touches, the more usage, the more likelihood that you'll have highlights. The more highlights you have, the more fast breaks you have, the more highlights you have, the more highlights you have, the more excitement around that player and around that team, the more excitement around that player and specifically that team and that pace of play, the more eyeballs, you get the point. It just builds on each other. If you play shitty, boring basketball, it's going to be real hard for your prospect to to um, you know, progress at the rate necessary to maximize your investment. Uh, <clears throat> when it comes to prospecting and it comes to players' card prices, there is more than just doing their job on the court. Hype has a lot to do with it. The number of eyeballs on that player has a lot to do with it. Media attention has a lot to do with it. Uh, Charlotte is a great example right now. Charlotte is, let's go look at the standings real quick. Um, LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges cards are doing fantastic, as you guys know. Charlotte's 25 and 20. Um, anything special, they're in seventh in the East. Um, they're behind the Cavaliers, for example. Um, you know, LaMelo's cards are worth a bazillion times more than Tyrese Maxey. I'm not even going to look. I don't, even, I don't even need to look. I know they are. Okay. Um, part of that is pace of play. Part of it is LaMelo's got better numbers. Don't get me wrong. But, um, but, but you know, Washington's another great example. Like Washington... You know, the Raptors, there's not as many eyeballs on those two teams as there are in Charlotte right now. There's a little bit of a buzz about Charlotte right now. Um, you know, I'm trying to look down here and see if there's any other teams like that in the West. <clears throat> oh, Memphis is a great example. Right now, there's a huge buzz about Memphis, um, you know. Um, so pace of play, style, style of play, not necessarily just as fast as you can, but uh, tempo matters, yes. More touches matters, yes, for your player, but, but also style of play. Is it a brand of basketball that people like watching? Um, you know, Jordan Poole is a great example. He benefited greatly from the style of play in Golden State, and Kaminga looks to be benefiting from it lately um, and, get, and getting some eyeballs on him. Um, anyway, it just builds on it. And the more hype there is, the more eyeballs, the more attention, the more enjoyable basketball your team plays, the more likely your prospect can stand out. Um, last two things, articulation. Um, uh, not to get too Webster's Dictionary on you, but the way that your prospect speaks and interacts with the media, it matters. Uh, it is a factor to consider. Um, it, it's a fact that well-spoken athletes are more marketable uh, and more recognizable, uh, which means more popular in the hobby. And I'm telling you that although NBA success is not a popularity contest necessarily, card prices are oftentimes a popularity contest uh it's all about attention and eyeballs and whatnot it's uh I i'm not going to be too hard on this topic because you know a lot of these kids in, in fairness to them they get out of high school they don't really have a college education they usually go for one semester and then never show up in the soft in the spring semester uh because they know they're going to be 100 millionaires and i sure as hell don't blame them if i was um RJ Barrett, uh, I would not have taken a single class at Duke my spring semester because I know I was going to be a hundred millionaire. Sorry, mom and dad, if you're watching, sorry, any parents out there, but if you still have that manner of thinking, that's rough. 
um, I would I would certainly adjust that uh, old school approach to uh, college educations when your child uh, is going to make a hundred million dollars or even ten million dollars for God's sakes. Um, <clears throat> stay healthy, work on your body, get drafted high. You can always go back and get your degree. Everybody can. Everybody has. Everybody will always. These guys often do it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, articulation is a big part of it. Uh, it's a factor. It matters. It's not everything. You know, some guys that, that, that come to mind that are incredibly articulate and great to listen to, Brent Berry, Grant Hill, Steve Smith, Vince Carter, Kenny Smith. Um, it's not a coincidence those guys have a career in, like, broadcasting. Uh, Steve Kerr, Mark Jackson, those guys, you know, just articulate, intelligent, well-spoken, thoughtful. Um, they carry themselves well. <clears throat> and again, as always, your guy might be the most articulate dude in the world, but if he can't play a lick, if you're Matt Bullard or uh, – you know, freaking Brad Doherty, nobody gives a damn, right? So you can't just be really smart and speak really well. You got to play basketball too. And then there are obviously exceptions like Shaq and Barkley. I don't think they're necessarily geniuses, but they're engaging. They got a good smile. They, you know, they they, they know how to work the camera and the audience. Uh, they're hilarious. People want to be around them. They're gregarious, you know, things like that. And that, that's all part of articulation. Being able to engage the media and being personable and relatable um, is important. Um, obviously, Barkley would, <laughs> one of the concerns for him would be on-court trouble and off-court trouble, political slash controversial. Those would be factors in Barkley. Uh, there are no risks or concerns about Barkley's on-the-court play when he was a prospect, that's for sure. Uh, all of his concerns would be off the court and, uh, and, and, and the like. Uh, but And then also the last factor to consider, uh, sorry guys, I know this is a long video. Where am I at? Oh my Lord, I'm at 45 minutes. Thank God I didn't do one video. Uh, going back to it, the last factor to consider is physical appearance. Um, I'm going to say something. This might offend people. I don't know. Attractive people are generally more marketable, which means more recognizable, which means more popular in the hobby, which means more card value. It's real simple, guys. Um, you know, Sam Cassell uh, doesn't do a lot of shampoo commercials, right? Because he's ugly. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, would you rather Sam Cassell selling your product or would you rather somebody who looks like Donovan Mitchell with a great smile or Zion who lights up a camera or Steph Curry, you know, who's uh, he looks like a male model. I mean, what, you know, or, or Corey Kispert or whatever, you know, I'm not I'm not going to get in all that. But I mean, who would you rather promote your product? Uh, uh, who would you rather be the face of your franchise? Uh, and I say that as the world's biggest Anthony Simons fan. The dude ain't the best looking dude in the world, man. Uh, so it was a factor that I considered. I know that sounds ridiculous and superficial, but it's a factor that I considered, man. Um, it obviously didn't keep me from investing in him. It's not a mandatory factor or a prerequisite to me prospecting on how a guy looks, but it's something to consider because it affects their marketability and their and their popularity in the hobby. So um, <clears throat> it's not a, it's not it's it's a factor. It's not the factor. Um, so that's just another great example. But that's it, guys. So that's episode. Um, that's a part number part one of a three part video. Sorry, this is probably more. Um, this is probably more suited for a podcast. I think most of my videos are probably more suited for a podcast. Um, you, you've just stared at a bunch of Anthony Simons cards the whole time I'm talking. Um, so I hope, I hope you're not disappointed that I didn't show you anything crazy and fantastic. I, I didn't even get to use half these pages or whatever. But uh, anyway, that um, that's just kind of my thoughts on some of the minimal factors to consider when prospecting. Again, to reiterate, it's illustrative, not exhaustive. There are a million things to consider. I want to hear your comments about things that I left out. Now, be careful because I'm about to release episodes two and three shortly after this, so I might check the boxes of uh, the factors that you think are, are very important. So we haven't even touched on the important stuff or the stuff that I say is absolutely crucial and mandatory when considering which prospect to invest in. But uh, it's fun. I love it. People are shitting on the ultra modern market and on prospecting in general and acting like it's impossible. It's not impossible. I'm telling you it's not impossible because I'm doing it every day. I'm doing it every day with players who are in their second year in the NBA. And if you buy the right cards and the right products and the right parallels, and we're going to talk about all that stuff on episode two and three or on part two and three of this, of this topic. 
Um, if you put your money in the right player, the right product, and the right parallel, there is definitely money to be made if your player outperforms expectations. It comes down to you educating yourself, you grinding and watching hours and hours and hours of basketball and understanding what separates a great player from an average NBA player. And if you can see that in a player who has not yet exploded on the stage to where he's gone mainstream, then you can be the first one in line and you can have the cards. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not saying I know everything, but I, I saw it in Anthony Simon. So I grabbed a lot of his cards and I've always said this for three years, I've held probably 2,500 Anthony Simon's rookie cards. These are just the slab ones for, for literally for three or three years, three and a half years. I've held these cards and I've always said this, I'm either the biggest idiot in the world or I'm the biggest genius. More likely I'm somewhere in between those two extremes, but you get my point. You gotta be willing to take that chance. I, I swung and missed on Chris Dunn. Thank God I didn't spend the kind of money I did on Anthony Simons. I swung and missed on Dennis Smith. Dude never learned to shoot. Um, just never got any better. Um, but I but I got it right on Simons. I got it right on Garland. I got it right on Fox. I think I'm gonna get it right on Kevin Porter Jr. I really do. And his cards have dipped. I think it's a great time to buy more. Um, and I got it right on Ben Simmons. I got it right on Giannis. I got it right on Doncic. I got it right on Za. I mean on Ja. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about guys like Doncic and Ja in the next two parts um, when we start talking about price point, um, because price point is is a mandatory price points in, in the mandatory factors to consider. Anyway, that's it. I'm not going to talk anymore. Uh, 50 minutes is a new record. Uh, that's either good or bad, depending on whether you like what the hell I'm saying. Uh, I do want to hear your comments. I just want to hear. Give me your guys. I want to know who's out there holding, um, you know, <clears throat> 750 Kyle Kuzma Silvers, uh, or um, you know, who thinks uh, Michael Bridges uh, is the next Bradley Beal, or uh, who thinks Jonathan Kaminga is uh, is, is going to be uh, you know first team All NBA one day? I, I love hearing stuff like this. I love talking about it. I don't know if y'all can tell how passionate I am about prospecting, but I love it. I love to argue about it. I love to tell you why I think I'm going to be right. I love to laugh when I'm wrong uh, and slash cry. Uh, but it's part of the game. You, you, you know, we're, we're more than just throwing darts at a board. It's, it's not like uh, investing in, in, on E-Trade and a bunch of stock paper that all looks the same. We're talking about um, players that we love watching, and it just it makes the game so entertaining. And I can't wait to wake up in the next morning and, and read the box score and look and see what my prospects did, to see what Anthony Simons did, to see what KPJ did, to see what Garland did. Um, you know, uh, or, or whoever your prospect might be. Um, those are just some of mine, you know. Um, but, um, but you know, I wish Panini would get off their ass and put out the new cards so we could invest in the guys that, that we want to bank on this year. Um, this is just really one of the best parts of the hobby. And I hope I don't offend all of my collector friends out there. Um, I, I am a collector at heart, but I just can't shake this side of it. It's just too much fun. Um, and, and investing in players like this and turning profits on young players like this um, is kind of how I grew my collection, you know, starting with Giannis. And that has allowed me to branch out further and become a more um, a more full collector and to collect Jordan and to collect 86 Fleer sets and to collect, you know, red PMGs and, and, and to collect, you know, national treasure RPAs of players. I couldn't buy that stuff if I didn't make a, a make money prospecting and uh, and getting some of this stuff right. And I know a lot of you guys out there are similarly situated in either you've done exactly what I'm talking about doing. You've done it the same thing that I've done, which is buy a ton of young players, sell them, uh, buy low, sell high. I know y'all have done a lot of that. Uh, or you're trying to get into it and do it. And you're hearing a bunch of people around you saying, no, those days are over. You can't do it. Well, you might not be able to do it on base prism cards. You might not be able to do it on hoops uh, or freaking chronicles uh, base, but it can definitely be done. You can definitely buy low and sell high on young NBA prospects. That can be done. I am doing it. And I know a lot of people who are like-minded who are doing the exact same thing. And they are doing it at a very high rate and being very successful at it. So don't get discouraged. Comment below. Let me know your wins, your losses. Let's talk about it. I wanted to kind of make this a more open discussion um, and, uh, and get some more comments and get it going. Anyway, that's it, guys. Uh, happy collecting. Have fun. Um, and watch the games tonight and peace.